Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. Welcome to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. We are joined by Andy Lano II. The Deering High alumni spent over 25 years on the PGA Tour caddying for Kenny Perry, Ches Reevy, Michelle Wee, Tom Watson, just to name a few. Andy was inducted into the Maine Golf Hall of Fame in 2011 and is currently the president of the Lano Family Foundation and the founder of Golf Mastery. Andy, welcome to Maine Golf Talk and how are you doing? Hey, doing great, doing great, uh, Zach and Henry, and it's uh, great to be on, and, and uh, even far away here in Washington State, 3,000 miles away, the, the great, you know, technology that we have, I guess, is uh, keeps things going and, and makes it unique, and, um, and hopefully things are, the spring's turning around there in Maine. Yeah, it's definitely getting closer to golf season, and hopefully as soon as the Governor uh, changes over the golf courses to become essential. We'll uh, we'll get out on the golf course. But uh, you know, Andy, you grew up in uh, you grew up in Maine. So tell us about growing up in Maine and how did you get into the game? Well, I grew up in the you know the Falmouth Portland area. Uh, my dad got me into the game at a young age. You know, basically just giving me plastic clubs or whatever to fool around in the yard. And obviously, my dad was a golfer. He was an outstanding athlete too. So um, basically, I played the played the three three major sports. So it was back when I played, which was basically you know football, basketball, baseball, and then played golf in the summer and mixed that in with the baseball. So with that, um, got you know started like I said, started at a young age with the basics, and then took to liking you know liking it and going to the course with dad and putting with dad, and then caddying for dad and and then next thing you know, junior tournaments and so on and love the competition. And, you know, and as you guys both know, I mean, golf's an individual sport and, you know, you basically control your own destiny out there. You don't really need any teammates as far as, you know, practicing or out there playing. It's, it's you and the golf course. So that makes it a unique thing and something you can control. So with that, I mean, I, I kind of took a liking to it and, and, uh, things took off from there basically what were you playing like um msga junior tournaments or what were you what tournaments were you playing in yeah. back then yeah actually the msga uh had like four or five um they had four or five tournaments during the summer you know which were like our majors they had big events at either martindale or you know wherever the courses that would host portland country club um some of the places willowdale whatever you know they would have them and then um, actually, I don't know if you know Dave Dave Mazio. He used to have a big tournament up in Norway, which was a nice one to go to up there. And those, and then there was like the New England Junior Open, you know, down in Massachusetts. Go down there and test your test your will against you know some of the players down in Mass. They had strong players down there. So um, yeah, just try to play in these tournaments. It's nothing obviously like it is now. These kids got all kinds of stuff that they can play in at different ages and they can really develop at a younger, faster pace, um, which is fantastic. Um, it, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting comparison looking back um, for the few, you know, little bit of competitions that we were able to play in. And then of course our, our big major every year is where I really got started. My dad started me as the father son. And the MSGA used to be, you know, um, annually on Father's Day uh, every year. So we would look forward to that. And obviously it was alternate shot. And I think we played my, I played my first one when I was like five years old or whatever, six years old, I think it was at Valhalla. And I think the last nine holes, my dad told me to carry me because I ran out of gas. But anyway, it, it was fun. And, um, and that really kind of, just being out there and the challenge of golf and in the competition and in the camaraderie was really what kind of drove me, you know, outside of playing team sports. 
Yeah, that's great. And then, uh, and then you went to Deering High, and it sounded like you guys had a pretty good team there too. Yeah, you know, we did. We we had a good team. We ended up uh, my junior year. We ended up tying, believe it or not, for the state championship. We all tied, and the Emmett, the uh, main the principals association wouldn't let us play off because it was some time frame thing where you had to be back at school and darkness and this and that. And they wouldn't let us play off. It was Greeley Bangor and um, who was low, you know, all those schools are strong Bangor and Greeley and endearing. And, and we all, we all got a piece of it. They all gave us the, <laughs> I guess that started the everybody gets a trophy thing. <laughs> that was back in 1979 or whatever. But yeah, we, we did really well in the, in the, you know, in the, southern part of Maine or whatever as far as playing you know in that region and then qualifying for the states it seemed like we always had to go to Gorm to qualify and we always were able to do that we had very good players deep players on our team so you can't do it with one as you know in team golf um and uh yeah that was uh that was that was a lot of fun to do that um I had to give up baseball which was a tough decision for me because I was a pretty good baseball player and I had to make that call but I wanted to try to you know go forward with golf and try to do something with golf uh even beyond you know high school so that was the call I had to make so you uh you ended up at Western Kentucky how did a Mainer end up into uh the uh the southern states there well, that that's because of uh, my basketball days. I used to play a lot of basketball um, with one of the teachers. Actually, it was um, uh, you know Gary Winship, and actually his son. You might have heard his son coached recently at Falmouth. Was a baseball coach over there. But anyway, Coach Winship, and there were several guys. There was uh, Ed Feeney over at um, Lyman Moore, but there were quite a few in the '70s that went down to either Western Kentucky or Murray State. Um, because they had really good um, educational programs down there. And they went down there to get their educational before they come back in, um, to become teachers. So long and short of it is they contacted the golf coach and I, you know, I wanted to go South, you know, obviously with Maine short season, um, I wanted to try to get better and needed more warmer weather. So I migrated, you know, my plan was to migrate South and try to get, more than six months try to lean more towards 10 and I was able to uh you know get in touch with Murray State and Western Kentucky and I ended up walking on at Western Kentucky they didn't have hardly any scholarships back then I mean Kenny Kenny Perry was on our golf team and he was getting like a half scholarship (laughs) I mean because you had to the coach had to cut up the scholarship so he could try to get you know six or seven or eight guys to, to try to give them all a piece to help them out so Anyway, went down there and walked on and played there for about, honestly, about a year and a half. And then um, kind of hit a wall on, on that and just kind of stepped away from the game for a while as far as, I mean, I competed in the summer and everything with amateurs and this and that, but I didn't. It was, uh, I, I took a break from it. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing uh, stories about how, uh, you know, there wasn't as many golf scholarships back in the day. You know, we talked to Mike Bender the other day. Um, and he played mm-hmm. in Iowa and, you know, it was the same thing, mm-hmm. kind of just walk on and, you know, it, it's, it's insane how different it is today where, you know, you pretty much need a golf scholarship to make the team. Well, yeah. And I mean, I was, like I said, I was fortunate. You know, I think we had eight or nine or the coach might've kept 10 and I was, and like I said, I walked on. So I was able to get all the privileges, have all the privileges, et cetera. But like you said, now, I mean, you know, with college being 40, 50, 60,000, I mean, you know, what is it at Bates now? It's got to be 63 or four or 5,000. I mean, Henry could speak to that, you know, and actually one of our, one of our scholarship kids that, you know, that one that was a recipient of our scholarship went to Bates. So, I mean, it's nuts and it's great. It's a great tool for, uh, you know, I always encourage the young kids to, you know, to take it up. You never know, especially when, especially with the gals. I mean, you know, there's like 1,600 to 2,000 scholarships that sit on a table every year unused because they just don't have enough girls out there to offer. I mean, they don't have enough, you know, that are interested to offer the scholarships. So I'm always tipping off the, you know, the parents that I meet to say, hey, you know, if you've got a little girl, see if you can get some clubs in her hand and see if she can take a liking to it. It might help you come, you know, 18 when she's got to go to, you know, choose to go to college. 
Yeah, that's so true. And I, I feel like a lot of the New England, uh, especially the Division three colleges, there's seems like there's a little bit of an emphasis now that they're trying to, um, you know, get women's programs started up. And um, I think the NESCAC's done a great job of that. And it's it's awesome being able to coach a women's team. And um, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with your uh, encouragement to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, obviously to grow the game, first of all, but, uh, you know, to help these folks to, you know, colleges, when they, when those kids are 18, it could be, uh, I don't even want to think what it could be, 80, 90, I mean, fit, the way the pace is going, who knows? But it's, I mean, you're going to need some sort of help if you don't go to a school that's got a huge endowment. Right, so you, you talked about kind of getting out of the game for a little bit there, but how did your caddying career get started? I mean, what what led to that jump? Well, I always caddied growing up, like even for like extra money in the summer, I used to go to the country club or even out to Riverside or whatever caddy, you know, with my dad's friends or whatever. So I always had some caddy background. Um, and, and then obviously getting up there in age, you wanted to be able to try to caddy for better players and go out there and see how they do it and learn, you know, what, you know, getting that free video is, is pretty valuable stuff. So when I hit the wall for playing, I thought to myself, you know, I have a, I had a friend of mine that I used to caddy for um, that would come up to and play in the Casco Bay Classic, which you guys are probably a little young, but that was a, it's kind of like a satellite event they set up at Riverside that was, that was organized by the late, great Johnny Mills, who's also in the, one of Maine's probably greatest, greatest players ever. Um, but anyway, he organized you know, a satellite event and he, a lot of the rabbits on tour after they were done down at Pleasant Valley, they would come up and play in it. And uh, I happened to become befriended one of them, Brian Clare and Brian, as it turned out, he ended up being the 1986 rookie of the year on the PGA tour, but this is in the early eighties when he hadn't made it yet. And long story short, I caddied for him when he come up, when he would come up to Maine and I, I hit a wall with the, with the playing thing. I just couldn't get past being a one handicap. I couldn't get to the plus side. So I said, you know what? What's the next best thing? Maybe I can go out and try caddying on tour and travel the, travel the country and see what that's like and see, you know, the, you know, have the seat next to them. So called him up. He, he ha- happened to know somebody that just got their card. And I packed my bags in 1987 and went out to uh, the Phoenix Open, knowing nobody. and and uh, obviously had had a job for the week there, but uh, you know got got hooked up with some people via Brian Clare. Brian kind of guided me the first month or two, or whatever, showed me the ropes, and then from there, you know, I never really intended it to do it more than a couple three years. I mean, it, back then, the, it wasn't it was uh, the purses were low and it was tough to make a buck or whatever, but it was a fun thing to do, you know, and it was it was cool to be out there and watch these guys and see exactly what they were doing just to get, you know, like I said, get that free video and watch, see if you can learn something. So that's what, basically where it all started. Was the, was the Phoenix open, was that at the stadium course? Or yeah, that they... believe it or believe it or not, it was the first year. It was the first oh, okay. year it opened. So when we got to 16, there was only probably a thousand people there, not, not uh, <laughs> 80,000 like there is now. I mean, I saw, I saw some of most of the evolution. They were, when I stopped in 2012, they were starting to start, they were starting to build the, you know, the, they did not like it is now, but they were getting to that point. They were really revving it up and it was still players would still get a little bit peeved when people would start screaming and yelling and all that. But once they got over that, once the players got over that, as you noticed, that's when those stands yeah. extended around and it turned into stadium, turned into <laughs> football for one hole. So, um, yeah, it was a neat place. And, uh, when we first went there, the, uh, they used to have this place called the bird's nest, which was literally right in between the walk from the clubhouse to the range. It was like a big, huge tent there. And they used to have a band play there at night after play stopped or whatever. And maybe a couple, you know, just a friendly couple thousand people or whatever. And, you know, Jake, Jake, uh, Peter Jacobson and Payne Stewart, Larry Rinker, Mark Lye, they were Jake, Jake Charlton, the flounders. So they'd go out up there, up there on the stage and they'd sing a few songs and, came and played the harmonica and, and you know you had a, you had a front row seat to all that like like it was nothing you know like going you know like going to the store or whatever and then that morphed into now they have a tent that's not even on 
it's not even on site anymore and they're getting like 50 to 60,000 people in there. Oh yeah. So it, it kind of went along with how big the hole got because then people started coming out. I mean, they always got good crowds in Phoenix, but basically that's, that's how that all started. So I got to see that from, from just a little friendly kind of, Hey, you know, we're at the Phoenix open thing to now it's just like, it's, it's not so out there. It's crazy. If you haven't ever been. Yeah. I was actually out there this last winter, such a cool event getting up there on 16 and it's wild, but uh, well, I mean, going out to that first tournament, um, seeing some of the pros that you saw, what was that like? Yeah, that that was that was pretty. Um, you know, it was interesting to be sitting there. You know, I mean, I watched some TV golf, obviously, and so I knew guys by you know, obviously, you could you know recognize them and they'd walk right by you, and everybody was really friendly. Um, you know, once you were inside the ropes and you got your ID and this and that, and uh, um, it, it was interesting to say the least. Um, and it was uh, it was fun. You know, it was uh, it was. To, to be there and watch them and then, to, you know, to do it again and then go to Pebble and then go to San Diego and then, you know, to do the West Coast, the L.A. Open, to see all these great courses and to see, you know, the different adjustments that they would, that all the pros would make at each place with different grasses and different conditions and, and all that kind of stuff that, you know, a lot of people take for granted watching it on TV. And um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on in the background, you know, prior to Thursday. You know, they, they flick the lights and camera on on Thursday, but I can tell you starting on Monday to Thursday, there's a lot of stuff that goes on to make that all a success come Sunday. Yeah, and, you know, we uh, Mike Bender mentioned it because he actually caddied twice for Zach Johnson just to kind of fill in. You know, he always said that, uh, you know, caddies are very under – well, not necessarily underappreciated, but – nobody understands how much work goes into getting your player ready for, for these events, especially because they change every week with, like you said, grass. And, you know, even if you look at like a course like Augusta where, you know, when Tiger King, it's a completely different golf course than it is now. So you guys would go into a event like Augusta in 97, be like, okay, you know, we kind of know what's going on. And then, you know, in 2005, it's just completely different. I mean, that's gotta be a challenge. Well, yeah, actually it was 98. It was different because after Tiger destroyed the place in 97, winning by 15 or however many shots he won by, they, they, they tweaked and tore the whole, I mean, the one thing the masters does, even this time, even as we speak now, they tweak the course every year, um, whether it's tweaking a green or, or doing something with a bunker or whatever. So they're constantly on the, on the move because they don't want any, I mean, most of the putts that you see, over the years, you know, they generally going to do the same thing, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I was there that year. I mean, I stood right next to tiger in 95 when he played in his first masters. Cause I was there with, with Kenny Perry and he came on as a, you know, obviously the U S amateur champ and he used a local caddy there at Augusta. So, I mean, it was uh, interesting. That was his, actually his first time that he played. And then you know, two years later, he's stomping on everybody. And, you know, as you know, they, they quote, tigerized the masters and to me they kind of fabricated the place but they kind of had to because tiger started hitting it so far he he started hitting it far which led to all this other all these other folks hitting it far and now he doesn't even hit it as far anymore but he's still right there with him but his you know his iron game and his putting and i mean that was obviously 20 something years ago but yeah i mean they're they're constantly, uh, you know, they had to, they had to move with technology and technology is the reason the golf ball got better. The driver obviously got better. And the, I mean, Kenny Perry, he's hitting the ball as far now as he did when he was 25 years old, he's 50, almost 60 years old. So, I mean, figure that out. If you didn't ever thought that, I mean, even not, even me, the average Joe player, I'm hitting it farther or same as I did when I was 20 with a wood, wood and a lot of ball. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it was a, a neat, neat place to be. And, and, uh, you know, obviously, as you know, Fluff, another Mainer, he was, he was on the bag that week for, for Tiger. So, you know, that was a, uh, that was a cool week, uh, week to be a part of and, and obviously history. And you didn't even really realize it because you were going to work yourself. You know, that, that, you know, that's what I realized looking back, going to all these events, you know, being there for Mickelson's first win and for, you know, Freddie Couples first win and, you know, major I'm talking about and, 
and being there for, you know, McElroy, et cetera. I mean, those are all things that like, it was commonplace because you were going to work and you were part of that. So it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool and interesting to be in that arena where all that was going on. Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a few of the little things that go into the week, like, you know, obviously courses changing and conditions changing and traveling. Um, what do, you, what do you think is the most important responsibility you had as a caddy? I know in, a, in an interview you mentioned being a, a yardologist. Is that is that something that you feel is the most important, is just getting a number, or do you think it can be a little more psychological sometimes? Well, it, 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 well you know what? It's a, it's a mixture of all of them, actually, to me. I mean, it depends on your player because every caddy has a different, like, kind of, re, you know, ex- expectations from their player. Um, Kenny really never carried a yardage book that much. So I had to make sure that, you know, I, I was giving him the numbers. And, and so I had to make sure that basically I had all that going on. So that was, an, that was always part of my deal. Um, the greens, we would read the greens together. Um, and he would either, you know, ask me and I'd read it. He'd read it. If he needed me, he'd ask me whatever. So basically it was, it was about the greens and it was about the yardage making sure that's all right. Cause it's obviously being accurate out there. I mean, if you're not, you're going to get run over. I mean, there's too many good players. And if you're, if you're not on cue with all that, then that's just going to make it that much harder for you to be successful. So that and then like you said you still got to be the you know you got to be the coach and you got to you know you got to be the the psych psych psychologist too you know to if that, get that one hole i remember one 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 tournament that we won i want to say can't remember which one it was but i think kenny started the tournament i think he started the tournament with a double bogey and won the tournament so i mean usually that doesn't happen a whole lot but his mental you know approach was pretty good and and he steadied himself and and he, he went on, I think he went on to shoot 20 something under that week with a double on his first hole out of 72. So I always try to tell that story to the young kids and say, look, you know, I mean, golf's like an 18 page book, you know, you, you know, you play in 18 of them and you play one page and whether it's, you know, a three or a six, you turn the page and move on to the next one. And the sooner you can learn to do that, the better you're going to be. And as far as competition goes in, you know, keeping a low score. Yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy too. You guys were you know old school. I mean there was no aim point, there was no greens books. I mean it was you know old school green reading, which you know it's a lot different than today's game. Yeah, I had to go out and you know for me I rolled balls, so I'd have three or four balls and I'd go to the quadrants in the greens and kind of just trickle some balls. You could, I didn't never took a putter with me because you couldn't do that, but you could roll balls. So. That was the only way that I had to, to get a look outside of I, I had the, I, I was a pretty good putter and a green reader when I played myself, so that helped also you know to to where you know that that would you know that gave me confidence to read the putts. I mean you read putts for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean I never honestly really thought about that. He, it'd be more about what do you like here and where do you think it's going and what spots it need to hit and you know, putting's all about feel and distance, as you know, and if he's got that, it's not easy to relay it to somebody else, but you sure can give him a pretty good idea. I mean, there was a couple of times I can remember in tournaments that I told Kenny, I go, look, this is super fast. Like he wanted to know that. And so that was because every once in a while, you know, he want that would be a cue to him that he knew that he didn't really have to hit it that hard or his, you know, my eyesight might've been a little sharper than his or whatever, but just teaming up to make all that come together for one goal, for one goal was, you know, a challenge. And, and it was, uh, it was interesting to take on every day, you know, depending on where you were in the tournament. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, you came for Kenny for many years and I mean, you got to see a couple um, unbelievable victories, you know, you had uh memorial, you had colonial, which, uh, which event was, you know, the most meaningful to you guys? to you well for me obviously when when i went out there i really had no expectations obviously the goal is to try to have you know caddy for you know a winner or whatever and and when kenny won in 1991 at memorial you know which is a long time ago um you know that was a first of all as an invitational so it was a really exclusive tournament you know 
and obviously get an invitation to that. So he was having a decent year going in, but to go there as a, as a non-winner and never want, never have won an event. And, and I can remember, you know, you just don't know in golf. And I know you guys know this from playing a lot of golf and seeing it and watching it. You just never know when you're going to turn that corner and you're going to have your day, so to speak, or your week or, or your run or whatever it may be. And I mean, he was going along there. I remember on Friday, you know, and he shot, I don't know, shot a couple under, I think the first day, which was anything under par at Muirfield is always very good. It's excellent course. It's hard, plays hard. Nicholas always set it up hard. And he was like, he was cruising along. I think he was like, he was seven under par through 15 holes there. And we got up to the 16th hole there at, um, at Muirfield. And, you know, he, we, you know, I was basically just giving him numbers and staying out of the way, you know, when you're pros like that, it's just like, yeah, well, you know, you just kind of let him go because he's shot low numbers to get there. Mini tours, this, that, whatever. And unless you're called on, you just basically, you know, that's what you, you just do your deal. So long story short, he got over this thing. I gave him the number and he got over this thing. And right before he was getting ready to pull the trigger, he looked at me, he looked over at me, he said, do you like this club? And I looked at him, I go, I, I go, I, don't, I really think you might be able to get the six there because the wind was kind of switching around and he could feel it too. So he had the five, he came over, he put the five back in and he pulled out the six and he hit this beautiful looking draw going right at the, right at the pin. And, and I'm thinking to myself, boy, I hope it gets there because of it, you know, if it's short, it wasn't bad, but it, it landed, I don't know, 10, 12 feet short of the hole and it rolled in for a one. So, I mean, he shot nine under, he went to nine under part of the last two holes, broke the course record. And then he went on to, uh, you know, beat Taylor Irwin in a playoff. So I'll always remember, you know, and he gave me, you know, a little bit of credit after, you know, because he, you know, he said that, you know, I might've coaxed him into changing it. But I mean, who knew I was standing there. I'm thinking, well, he's going to hit a five. And next thing you know, he's asking me, you got to make those decisions as a caddy. You got to be quick on your feet. You got to be thinking you're always adjusting, you know, you're always, you know, aware of the conditions and, you know, I got lucky there and, and uh, that was a real big thrill to win that tournament and kind of put Kenny Perry on the map. And then, as you know, he went on to win it there two other times. I believe he's won it three times there. But that was a lot of fun and, and, uh, and caddying for Ches Reeby, you know, not, you know, someone, another, you know, underdog kind of guy. He's not anymore, but he was a rookie and, you know, fourth week out with him, he's up there at the Canadian open and he's rolling along and we're playing with Mike Weir and Anthony Kim and took them, you know, took their hit and ended up beating them by three. So that was fun too, to win the Canadian open. Cause that's like one of the oldest tournaments, you know, on tour. And uh, that was, uh, that was a pretty unique experience too, to, to be able to be part of that. I mean, Ches was, he was on fire that week. His, striking was good and we had rain delays and we were playing 31 holes one day and five the next and then eight and I mean we just the rain was in our way all all week but he overcame it and he ended up you know got his first win there as a rookie and that was uh, that was pretty thrilling too yeah that's awesome and I mean I love Ches Reeve and I mean that guy I think he made three hole-in-ones in the last like seven months I mean I've never seen anybody make so many hole-in-ones on the PGA Tour in a short span like that yeah, he's a, he's always a good striker. So with him, it was about the, getting the putter hot. And that week, he putted really well. And then, and then of course, he didn't win again until on tour anyway. I know he won some uh, Corn Ferry. I think he won out there. But last year, again, he busted through and got his second win there at Hartford. So it took him – I mean, he had some injuries and he had some things in between. You know, golf, it's tough out there, man, because if you, you do have injuries and you – you do have some stuff that gets in the way. I mean, these guys will run right by you. I mean, it's it's uh, super competitive, and there's lots and lots of great players that people don't even know right now that you're going to see here and you know either this year or next year, whenever they get going, you're going to say, "Holy smokes!" You know, there's just it's just super competitive and really deep right now. But yeah, that was uh, for sure. I mean, I think you're going to hear a lot about Chez because he's he's got it on. You know, he's got it dialed in right now. And if he can stay healthy, he'll be a factor whenever he plays. Yeah, I mean, if you, you look at, you know, Colin Morikawa, Matt Wolf, you know, Victor Hovland. I mean, these guys are coming straight out of college and just firing. And it's it's crazy how good college kids are going into it. Um, so how uh, how many times do you thank Tiger for 
uh, his game allowing you to get higher purses. So when Kenny won, you got a nice, uh, nice check there. Yeah, you know, I, I think I always tell people and I always tell them that I always used to thank Tiger every time I won or any time I had a big check and he'd kind of look at me kind of funny and you might have heard this on some other tapings or whatever, but I'll be, you know, I'm, a, I'm always pretty consistent with it, but he always used to look, look at me and, and say, you know, for what, you know, what, you know, I said, well, I go, you know, my guy won a million you know, or a million two or whatever it was. And, you know, that's because of you. And even, you know, now late to the game, if you notice lately, even Phil, Phil's even mentioned the fact, and not just Phil, but a lot of golfers. I mean, Tiger Tiger came to the game in, like, in 97. The purses, think about this, the purse was 500000 So the winner was getting 90, 90 grand. Well, that's like 25th place now. So the purses have gone up, you know, whatever they are now. They're $9 million bucks, or I don't know, they're $15 million. I don't know. It's so crazy now with, you know, what Tiger did to elevate the game and and bring it on TV and, and even get people involved and grow the game that wouldn't even as much as even watch golf or care about golf. But yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for tiger. Um, and, and I caught only a little piece of it. I sure would like to be out there now with some of these guys that are winning. I mean, they're winning, you know, 1.9 million, their players winning. That's a couple hundred thousand. That's a pretty good week. It's a pretty good couple, three years for a lot of people. But that's that's how it is, and uh, you know that the golf is it just exploded with you know the golf channel Arnold, you know bringing the golf channel. That's really helped obviously the game in the early 2000s or 99 when he did that. That was huge because now the golf you know, it's got its own channel and people love that. So yeah, the evolution of the game. I, I don't I don't know that how I don't know how much better or farther it can go. To be honest with you, I mean it's really right where it needs to be. Yeah, that's, that's great. And can you tell us a little bit about your time caddying for Michelle Wee? And I believe she was playing men's events uh, when you were with her. Is that correct? Yeah, that was back, that was back in 2006. And she was, um, they specifically hired me because I had, you know, men's background experience. And I was in between bags at that time. And I had, you know, I was open. So I figured, you know, I knew she had an issue with the previous caddy somewhere. And I, I just happened to throw my resume and contact the agent. And the next thing you know, they called me back and they said, yeah, you know, we, you know, we like your background. We know you've been there. She's going to be playing in the, you know, uh, over and played over in Switzerland over there at the Omega masters, which was cool. I have never been to Switzerland. So that was pretty neat to go over there and play there. Um, at 7,500 feet above <laughs> ball was flying pretty good there so they hired me to work there and then they were playing she was in the 84 lumber which was a tournament out in pittsburgh because the 84 lumber was playing they were playing east and west and that year it was in the west obviously they were trying to bounce it back and forth so i hired and i you know they hired me to work those two so i really enjoyed it um got the first class treatment from them I mean it was great and, and uh but she was super talented and she was a really nice nice I call her kid she's not a kid anymore but when I caddy for her she was and I mean she wasn't her her composure and her her um ability to be able to not be intimidated and just go out there and play I mean she was hitting it at that time she was flying at 275 you know to 280 or whatever so you know obviously it was interesting to play, you know, against the guys we, you know, we didn't make any, we didn't make any cuts, but I know we beat, we beat some of them that we did play. I didn't finish last every week, but you could see just, just how special she was. And um, I didn't, didn't quite get her at the right time as far as, you know, I want to be able to try to, you know, my goal was to maybe try to caddy against the girls or whatever, but they weren't interested in doing that. They wanted to try to, you know, make history and do the boys thing or whatever. So, yeah, it was a great experience, and, and uh, you know, I was glad to see later on that Michelle got her got her USGA win there at Pinehurst, I think it was, and and um, now she's doing other things. Obviously, she's so young still; she can still come yeah. back and play. But I know she's getting ready to have a baby, and and uh, I mean, it was 
it was a she was definitely a prodigy of her of her you know of as far as girls go um and she, i don't know if she could say that she maximized her potential but she sure did give it a whirl and did some unbelievable things yeah that was a great win at pinehurst i remember that it was just awesome um but you know i i got to imagine you see some or you've seen some pretty interesting relationships between caddies and and players i mean um I mean, you hear stories, obviously, Zach and I aren't out on tour. We're not right up with, uh, right alongside you guys. But, um, you know, you, you hear the stories and then obviously like the Matt Kuchar situation comes to mind. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on, you know, some of the things that have gone on behind scenes and, and how relationships can really have an impact on how a player performs? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. As far as the Kucher thing goes, I mean, I don't really – I wasn't there that week, um, so I don't really know. I mean, I know from reading it and everything about, you know, what what we all know, whatever. And, and that, I mean, it doesn't – to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, people – you know, that that's his deal. And I, I, I can't tell him – I mean, I know his caddy that, that wasn't there that week. Because, you know, as people may or may not remember, I mean, he really wasn't even going to play that week. And his caddy had scheduled like a reunion or something. And, and uh, so he wasn't able to go. And so that's so he picked up the local caddy there or whatever. But, I mean, I'm, I'm real friendly with, you know, a good friend of mine, Joe LaCava. He obviously caddied 21 years for Fred Couples and now an additional at least eight or nine for Tiger. And I was good friends with Bones. Um, and with Phil Mickelson and they, you know, they always had some, you know, they some great stories, you know, with those guys, but they were all good. It was all good. You know, it was all positive stuff. So, I mean, I don't, I, I know I was very fortunate over my time with the people that I worked with. Um, I always got, um, more than, more than compensated fairly, if not too much or generously. So I was very, you know, and, and mostly that's how it, in my opinion out there, that's mostly how it is. So I don't know what happened that week. Really prefer not to elaborate on it because I really don't know, you know, the particulars of it all. I mean, I like Matt. Matt's a super nice guy and always been good to me. So, I mean, I, I was a little bit mystified, to be honest with you. All right. So let's uh, let's go with, uh, you know, you, you got to caddy in President's Cups and, you know, of course, the Ryder Cup. Uh, what? Can you tell us what it was like being inside the ropes at, you know, at the Ryder Cup, you know, U.S. versus Europe? I mean, that's a big event. What was it like being, you know, inside there? That that was a lot of fun. I got to tell you, I mean, the result the week that we that, that I caddied wasn't very good for us. But I can tell you the whole lead up to it was amazing. I mean, Hal Sutton was our captain and he's kind of started the to me, he was one that really laid the groundwork as far as like getting caddies involved. And he took care of us. Like you wouldn't, I mean, like people wouldn't believe, I mean, we had first class tickets there. We had a Cadillac, brand new Cadillac courtesy car. We parked right next to the pros. We had lockers next to the pros. We ate, you know, uh, pretty close. I mean, you didn't want to be right with them or whatever, but he really, he really kind of started the, to me, I appreciated everything he did and not just because of that, but he really knew that the relationships like myself and Kenny and some of the other people are on the team bones and Mickelson and, and these guys, he knew that they had input during the regular, any regular event. So why not have the input in the team event? Cause prior, I mean, some of, some of these, these team events like that, the caddies would kind of be, you know, they kind of stay back unless they were asked. But yeah, it was it was awesome to be a part of that and to go out and caddy for your country and and uh, the roars. I mean, we played Oakland Hills there in Detroit. The crowd was amazing. We had forty forty five fifty thousand out there every day, and uh, you know it was it was it was something to be part of. Obviously, the beating that we took wasn't fun in the end, but as for everything else, I mean, we had gifts on our bed thanking us when we got back to the back to the hotel every night and, and just, it was, it was all first class. So, I mean, that was a thrill to be treated that way. Obviously you were there to caddy and the caddying part was always fun too. Uh, it was just as much fun and the challenge to go out there and, you know, basically just try to do your thing, you know, do what you know and, and go out there and map the course and read the greens and, and try to, 
try to do what you do on any uh, any other event, but it's it's not that way. I mean, the players are different. Um, it's a little bit more nerve wracking because now you have a team versus yourself. And uh, it was a uh, it was quite an experience, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, outside of the result, it was a it was a cool deal, and I'll I'll always remember that. And the PGA is fantastically supports that that event, and they support the captain. So whatever the captain says, that's what goes. I don't I don't think the caddies have had cur- Cadillac courtesy cars since. <laughs> that, that was pretty fun. Yeah, that's, <laughs> to, that's uh, gotta be pretty sweet. That. So yeah. You're, so you've got a caddy, you know, in the Masters, Ryder Cups. You know, what, what was the biggest roar you've, you've heard out there? Um, I would, let's see. It would have to be, I mean, there was, I'll tell you, believe it or not, in 1996, some of the biggest roars I heard was Kenny played in the PGA at Valhalla. And as you know, Valhalla, that was the first year they played in Kentucky. So at that point, Kenny had established himself as being this kind of the state guy that people knew. And on the on the Sunday, we were playing with Greg Norman. He was, an, I think, he was the number one player of the world at the time. And we were a few back of whoever was leading. And um, Kenny made a run. And on the back nine at Valhalla, I don't know if you've ever been on Valhalla, but it kind of sits down in a hollow, and it's. And it's got these tree-lined fairways, and in, so there's like an echo down there. Well, Kenny was was on fire. I mean, he he you know he was making a run for the lead. He ended up actually leading. He got in the clubhouse with a lead, um, but the long and short of it, he was making this run. And these putts he was making on the back nine. I mean, the roars were deafening. There was like thirty thousand people following you know local Kenny Perry around, and they were hooting and hollering and. And, uh, you know, Greg, Greg Norman wasn't having his best day. So we were, we were basically kind of outdoing him, which is very rare because usually it's Norman that's doing the outdoing. Um, but we, we were out and out playing him and it was kind of interesting to experience that. It was like you were gliding down the fairways with this, this energy and this, this high and this adrenaline that was going on that you were getting from the crowd as Kenny was making birdies or he's making a key par putt and you, he was, I don't know, I think he was four or five behind going in the final day, and he ended up, like I said, he got in the clubhouse and he was ahead, and then Mark Brooks birdied the two of the last three to tie us, and then we lost in a playoff. So that was kind of a downer after riding that high for two and a half hours on the back nine and then going into the playoff and getting beat. It was a real downer to uh, to experience the result, but it sure was fun to hear those roars on the back on the back nine there at Valhalla in 96. Yeah, that's got to be awesome, you know, with the Kentucky native there. And, you know, it had have been tough, you know, with Kenny, you know, making this big run, you know, granted he, you know, unfortunately bogey's, bogey's the last, but, you know, it's kind of tough to get uh-huh. back into that state of mind to kind of get back into playing when, you know, you have a chance, you're, you have the lead going into it and all of a sudden, you, you know, competitor ties you and, and you're waiting. Yeah, and he got he got criticized a lot for being, you know, spending too much time up in the booth or whatever. And you know, the, there's a little bit of backstory to that that a lot of people don't know. I mean, first of all, it was a really hot day, and second of all, um, you know, he was up there relaxing. But when he came down out of the booth when he knew it was a playoff, he 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 wanted to go to the range or whatever, but the PGA wouldn't let him because there was a thunderstorm that was like ten minutes away, and they could see it on the radar, and they didn't. They wanted to try to get the, the tournament. They want to try to get it in. So we were running up against a thunderstorm in daylight. So I'm, I'm not going to say, I mean, Kenny's such a nice guy that he's not going to be a persistent guy. He, he could have said, look, you know, that's fine. I, I need to hit some balls. And he could have probably done that. And he didn't. But like if it was some other golfers that I know that might not have taken that for an answer, they'd have gone down and warmed up. And, and maybe he should have gone down prior. Because you really didn't know because Brooks birdied the last hole. He birdied 16 and 18, which was on his part, you know, 16 is a great birdie. And 18, everybody was kind of birdieing that hole because it was a little shorter. And uh, I know he two-putted and made like a, I think he made like a six-footer. So anyway, I mean, so with that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say Kenny wasn't loose or whatever. I mean, we, we missed the fairway by six inches. 
and we were in some Kentucky bluegrass that you just couldn't couldn't get at, and it took us, you know, a couple to get up near the green or whatever, and and I, you know, Brooke, I think Brooks birdied the hole again, so we ended up losing, but yeah, that was that was a tough pill to swallow, um, but I mean, Kenny played fantastic that day, and and uh, you know, I was really hoping that would have been a fairy book ending. Um, you know, for him to win in the state like that with a first, having a first major there for the first time in a lot of years, that would have been, I should say, a fairy tale ending. And it was so close and got taken away at the end. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I, you mentioned that thunderstorm. I, I want to say the PGA that Rory won, they had a thunderstorm and they had to kind of rush to the finish. I don't know if that was like 2014 or something like that. And, right, uh, I think it was a Kiowa, wasn't it? Yeah. Was that where it was? Kiowa, maybe? No, it was, at, it was still it was at Valhalla. I remember he hit that, like... Oh, um, no, Valhalla. That's yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think Phil wanted to, like... Phil was playing with them, and he wanted to cut it short, but they all, like, tried to rush in, and I think Roy was, like, running down the 18th fairway. It was crazy. A crazy finish. Well, so, right, yeah. And honestly, yeah. going to school... I mean, it can get real humid in Kentucky in, in August, especially, and those things would pop up. And we, we, yeah. we had issues with rain that week anyway, the week we played. Rory's week wasn't as bad, but but those things they can just pop up like nothing. But yeah, I mean, old Mother Nature's ruined a few careers out there, or, or yeah. not careers, but the, some endings to tournaments, and also made some. So it's worked obviously on both sides. It seems like Valhalla has just been a great arena, a great turn, uh, you know, tournament course to to host events like the Ryder Cup and it seems like it's just a, a great course to have events on. And, um, and it's great to see Kenny Perry, you know, has, has broken through on the champions tour. It looks like he, he's won what a couple majors out there now. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's won an, an additional, what I think 14 times out there or something or 12 times or whatever. But yeah, yeah I mean, not a surprise. Cause like out there it's about distance and you gotta remember you only play three rounds. A lot of the time you don't play four. So you get the putter hot and you get it as far as he does and chew up the par fives. It's a good recipe for, uh, for doing well in the champions tour. Yeah. I mean, it was a hard, hard to see him finish the way he did at the masters that one year, but um, you know, great to see him come out on the champions tour and, and looks like he's, you know, doing well out there. And, um, but anyways, back to you, what, tell us what you're up to now, the, the Lino foundation and, um, and this course mastery. We want to hear about this. Yeah, so well, the in in two, 2012, we um, well, my dad passed away in 2011. In 2012, we, we um, established the the Leno Family Foundation, and um, what that was is you know we wanted to keep our dad's, um, you know his, his uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I wanted to keep wanted to keep his spirit alive, and he was a great three-sport athlete at Portland High School and he touched a lot of lives uh, during his life he loved sports he loved competing and so we wanted to keep his his um you know his memories a lot his uh memory alive so um we established this to uh to give a scholarship away in his honor so we created a criterion award at Portland High where he went and graduated and um we're in our this is our eighth year now, so we've given um, seven uh, $10,000 scholarships to their recipients, and we don't select the recipient. They just they just meet the criteria, and then Portland High School with the coaches, the AD, assistant principal, they they choose, um, or actually they they can see who's who's meeting the criteria. And uh, we've been very fortunate to have seven great, um, really great recipients you know love them all and they're they're all doing well and last year we actually had our first female grace stacy um which was a thrill because you just you just don't know when you start something out like that something like that um you know my my sister melody my sister maureen and my brother john you know all four of us and we got a great board of directors so and we're all 100 percent volunteer so it's it's not easy we have a we have one tournament a year. Uh, we have a tournament my dad's honor um, called the Action Andy Memorial Classic. And that's where we raise a, a majority of our funds. Um, and that's been very successful. And uh, we also, I, I've also been able to um, 
coordinating a caddy day, a PGA caddy day. So I get a bunch of my caddy friends and we get together. We have a great sponsor that brings us into a course and brings his business people and friends in and, and then they make a donation to the foundation. So between that and, and, um, and our action Andy classic, you know, we, we've been able to raise enough funds to not only donate to the Portland high school, um, you know, for the scholarship for 10,000, but we also give 1500 a year to the MSGA for a scholarship. And in my dad's memory, he loved the MSGA, probably played it, you know, played 50 years in the MSGA, made a lot of great friends there. We donate to the boys and girls club of, um, of Portland Southern clubhouse, which Southern main clubhouse, which believe it or not, my dad's pictures on the wall and they're playing basketball and he's 12 years old. So, you know, we donate to the youth basketball there for the kids that can't afford, you know, their uniform and their entry fees, whatever. And we, we sponsor teams in there to help them. And then we also give to um, glaucoma, the glaucoma research up in uh, the laboratory up in um, Bar Harbor because my dad fought glaucoma and uh, they still don't have a cure for that. So we're donating to that every year to help the researchers up there find a, find a cure for that. So it's been really fun and interesting. Um, it's a lot of work, but we love it and uh, it's great to give back. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're already in our eighth year and it seemed like we started yesterday. So that's, that's been really fun and, and interesting to, to do. And, and again, try to having golf involved, you know, golf's our main engine to raise funds. So that's been, that's been a fun thing. And then, you know, last year in 2000, late 2018, I began golf mastery and, and that's just a new business that I started individually for, and you know, my mission there is again, to help grow the game of golf, just like you guys are doing, inspire people to, you know, invest in the game of golf, you know, for a lifetime, you know, whether they're good or whether they're a 15 or a 20, whatever it may be, there's all kinds of ways that golf can be a vehicle in life. You know, you could be, you know, out doing a business deal, you know, for millions of dollars, you know, for 15, and you're not, you know, a 15 handicap. You don't have to be a pro. You don't have to play the tour. Um, but basically just trying to get folks to uh, invest in that and then try to basically, you know, um, take take my wisdom and knowledge, you know, that I've that, that I've been able to see in 25 years and share that with them and, and, you know, let them run, let them run with it. You know, as you know, golf's unique and has no limits. You know, you can be a, if you want to be a five handicapper, you can, if you want to be a 15, you can, you know, you can be, you can control your own destiny generally. I mean, obviously there's some talent involved to get to be really, really good. But with that, I mean, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to share that knowledge and grow the game and, and pass that on to some folks and, and, and hopefully, you know, you know, make it, making it, making it worth it for them to, to uh, get some of the tips and the wisdom and the knowledge that come with, you know, all the free videos I got of watching these guys prepare and how they react in competition and how they, how they close things out and how they react to, you know, the mental game, you know, when you make a double bogey with how you bounce back, as you guys know, that's all important stuff. And, in golf that you know the the head the psych, psychological part of the game is really really what makes a lot of these young players so good because they're getting taught at such a young age to be so strong that's what's making them guys like Hovland and and Morikawa and these guys they're they're like they got minds of 40 year olds and they're only 20 so that's what that's what's making them great in my opinion obviously they're talented but I think that's that's one of the biggest things that's making them great and they're getting great coaching from their from their people in college and all the way up the whether they're teachers etc yeah i mean you you nailed it on the head there it's these kids are just so much more you know mentally into it and you know it's it's incredible what you're doing you know now with giving back to to maine um you know honoring your your father and you know sharing your experiences which is you know which is what everybody you know, hopes for. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there's more details. You can go to www.golfmastery.net obviously, but I mean, it's, uh, there's some interesting stuff on there and, and, you know, I'm really, I'm not, a, I'm really not a teacher. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm more trying to pick another lane of more like an advisor and more like, 
more like a, you know, someone that's, that's been at, at certain places in, in, in some, in that people have it in very unique places. So um, that doesn't make me any better, but I just been fortunate enough to be at these places, whether it's traveling the world, going to the UAE for a month and living over there and caddying or going to the British open or whatever it may be, or just being able to watch all the variances of golf or, you know, caddying for, Obviously pros, but, you know, I caddied for Tony Romo, I've caddied for actors, you know, it, it's amazing how all these, all these people, they all have something that you can learn from them, but even if it's not golf oriented, it might be something else. So, and, you know, that's, that's part of life. We all do that every day, people that we meet. So it, it's been really cool. And, and I just, you know, I want to try to, you know, try to share that and pass that on. Yeah, that's awesome. So Andy, we're we'll, uh, we're gonna let you go here. I know you've taken up a lot of our time, but uh, before you do, we got four quick questions, which is uh, our wicked fire round. So we'll right. uh, we'll move right into it. Uh, favorite tour stop. Favorite tour stop for me is uh, Memorial, Muirfield Village. Who is the favorite player to talk to that uh, you weren't carrying the bag for? Our caddy. Uh, let's see, favorite, favorite, Freddie Couples. Freddie, Freddie was always, he was a sports junkie, so you knew you could always chat sports with him, and he was, you know, he's pretty much what you see, so Freddie's just sad. He's laid back, and he's a super nice guy, and always enjoyed conversations with Fred. What, uh, which, uh, which Red Sox team, which year Red Sox team was your favorite? Well, for me, it's 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 always going to be 2004, um, and and obvious for obvious reasons. But you know, being down 3-0 and then you know taking down the evil empire, um, you know, and, and breaking breaking a record like I tell the Yankee fans, only a record that can only be tied. So I mean, there's only you know I I really enjoyed that after suffering through 75 and 86. <laughs> for me. I wasn't really quite into it when they were in, and I think it was 68, whatever, Jim Lomborg or whatever, whatever the St. Louis, I think the Cardinals got them one year. But anyway, the 2004 Red Sox, that, that crew is going to always be a special one that I'll remember. And uh, final question, what is your favorite main golf course? Oh, man. Well, believe it or not, um, I love Arundel. And uh, that's one of my favorites for sure. Um, and then, of course, I like I like some of the, you know, like I like Sugarloaf, um, and I like Waterville. Those are my top three. I love Waterville. Waterville's always been fun to play, an old style course. So those those would be my three right there. Love it. Well, Andy, thank you again for, for hopping on with us. Where, where can our listeners get, um, get a hold of you? Do you have a social media or I know you mentioned your website. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, the website has all the information on it, but I mean, I'm, I'm also on Twitter at a Lano two and then at Instagram, I'm on ag a G L A N O the number two for Instagram too. So be quite honest with you during all this thing, I've been kind of quiet on that, <laughs> but, but when something does come up, I'm usually, you know, I'm usually on there posting. I was going to, I was going to post something today on doing this with you guys, but I mean, until you, till you post it or you figure out when you're going to do it, then it's not going to do me much good to put it out there. I didn't know if it was live or whatever, but yeah, that, 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 and like I said, www.golfmastery.net. And then if they're interested in the Lano Family Foundation, you can go to www.thelanofamilyfoundation.org. And uh, those sites have all our information and everything, basically our calling card on what, you know, what we're doing and uh, where we're at. That's awesome. Thank you, Andy. And, uh, you know, it's interesting watching the, the Tiger playback this past weekend and, and I think Tiger spent more time talking about La Cava than he did himself. You know, he really talked about how meaningful uh, he was down the stretch and, and how many details he was uh, paying attention to uh, during crunch time. And I'm, I'm sure you, you had plenty of those situations yourself. And, I mean, just amazing career and everything you've done. Um, 
you know, coming from me. And that's, that's awesome. We really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your stories. Yeah, guys, I, I appreciate it. And it was a, it was an honor and a privilege to be on. And, and like I said, I'm always here for anything that you may need as far as when it comes to the main golf, you know, or any, any guys from Maine always, we all stick together. So th thank you. Uh, thank you guys for having me on and, and uh, go, go main golf talk. Let's get, Let's it, get it out there. Get some, get, get some li listeners, man, and boost this thing around, get everybody going on it. There we go. Well, we'd love to have you on again sometime. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And this has been another episode of Maine Golf Talk. Mm -hmm.